Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, what next listener? Mary Harris here. Before we get started, wanted to give a quick shout to our newest listeners. There have been a whole bunch of you over the last few weeks. We're grateful to have you. And if you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing. You can do that wherever you listen. And then you can leave us a review. Tell us what you think. All right, on to the show. Slate's Jordan Weissman, he honestly just didn't think there was going to be bipartisan infrastructure legislation in Washington. I went off on a vacation, and the last thing I tweeted was, I just hope that by the time I'm back, they've given up this pointless kabuki and moved on to passing (laughs) a partisan bill. Um, So I'm putting this on the record that I, I was a doubter. Jordan had good reason to be doubtful. Negotiations had been going on for weeks. There were a lot of stops and starts, including a moment back in June when President Biden announced there was a deal which then got scuttled. Then this weekend, there it was, 2,700 pages of legalese about roads and bridges with senators from both sides of the aisle singing the bill's praises. I want to congratulate the members of the bipartisan group for their efforts. We haven't done a large bipartisan bill of this nature in a long time. I mean, the Senate seemed really proud of itself the other day when they were introducing this bill. Neither side got everything we wanted. There are a bunch of things in this bill I don't like, I'd take out. There are things in this bill I know my Democrat friends don't like and would take out. But the the process that has gotten us here this evening is one that, while hard and arduous, as a senator from Arizona has noted, this is what we come here to do. It's not easy. They call us a deliberate body. This is truly what deliberation is about, to come to an agreement. And it takes an awful lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of effort. And it was just like shout outs all around, big smiles. Like it felt like a party in there. Right. Because it's it's sort of like if the like U.S. men's like gymnastics team suddenly won a gold medal out of nowhere (laughs) or even like even like a a silver. Right. Like it's like no one. No one's thinking of those guys. There was a lot. Of, there were a lot of naysayers, right? I mean, I count myself among the naysayers. Like, you know, this is not done. Even if it passes the Senate, it will be a while before this becomes law, and there are many hurdles along the way. But it's possible. It's possible that Joe Biden will actually get a fairly substantial bipartisan, you know, bill, you know, in you know, to his name. In fact, he might he might get two of them. Today on the show, how to make an infrastructure bill in Washington. Turns out, you may have to make more than one of them. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. 
SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The people who made this week's bill happen are Senator Kirsten Cinema, the Democrat from Arizona, and Senator Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio. Both consider themselves moderates, compromisers. That's clear from the text of their legislation, which still has a few hurdles to get over before heading to the president's desk. Can we talk about what's in the bill? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Rob Portman, the Republican senator who's the main negotiator, he summed it up really concisely. $555 billion, no new taxes, core infrastructure only, and it's great for the American people. And I was like, okay, boom. Like, that's... <laughs> Those are the big three, and those are the big three that the Republicans wanted. So what exactly is this bill paying for? I mean, Portman's not wrong for the most part, right? That's a, that's a pretty good assessment. You know, again, yeah, it is accurately $550 billion of new spending. Um, about $110 billion of that is going to be things, roads, bridges, uh, you know, tunnels, things that we think of as, you know, the core of infrastructure. There's $66 billion for rail. There's, you know, $40 billion for public transit, $39 billion, I think. Um, there's more for airports, there's ports. There's uh, $15 billion for electric vehicles, which is, you know, less than Joe Biden's initial proposal, which was closer to $100 billion, I believe, but still a substantial investment in things like charging stations. There's... A whole bunch of money that's going to uh, electric power infrastructure like the grid and some new clean energy testing and water things like clearing out wet lead pipes. Uh, and there's a lot of money going to sort of environmental resiliency. If you look through the summary of this bill, you're going to find a lot of stuff about dealing with drought and dealing with flooding and dealing with wildfire. You've made the point that you know some folks have, have looked at this bipartisan legislation and, and underlined the fact that a lot of things have shrunk from Joe Biden's initial request for money, but that actually some of the funding that looks like it may be disappeared from this bill is actually stuffed into other pieces of legislation. And so the Democrats are kind of just trying to find places to squirrel away money in whatever bill they can get it in. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Joe Biden came out the gate with three big proposals. There was his American Rescue Plan, which was his COVID response. There was the American Jobs Plan, which was sort of his mostly hard infrastructure, but also things like elder care plan. What they were calling human infrastructure. Human infrastructure, right. And then there was the American Families Plan, which was, you know, things like child care, pre-K, um, you know, extending the child tax credit somewhat, more Obamacare subsidies, the kind of improvements to America's welfare state and, and family policy. So those were the, the three kind of, you know, pillars of Biden's agenda. And he's sort of breaking off pieces of those pillars and, and and mixing and matching them, right? So what we're getting in this bill, the bipartisan one, is sort of the core of the infrastructure plan, really what we think of as the mostly as the traditional hard infrastructure, you know, the, again, the roads and bridges and waterways and tunnels and trains, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of what's been stripped out of this infrastructure bill 
stuff like raising wages for home health care workers or investing in public housing and community centers, it could get jammed through anyway. That's if all 50 Democrats stick together and use the budget reconciliation process. Jordan calls this a multi-track approach. The, the real heavy lifting on climate is probably going to happen in the reconciliation bill. The family and child policy stuff, that's all going to happen in the reconciliation bill. You know, the healthcare stuff, if, if we uh, upgrade Medicare a little bit, that's going to happen in the reconciliation bill. And then there's this other piece of legislation that Chuck Schumer passed, um, which was, you know, the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. It was sort of known as the China Bill, um, but also some people called it the, for a while, it was the Endless Frontier Act. And this was this big science and industrial policy funding bill that also kind of borrowed some ideas, some from Biden and some from other places. And that's like $250 billion in spending on things like, uh, you know, semiconductor plants and more National Science Foundation funding um, and more funding for the national labs. And that garnered Republican support because everyone wants to beat up on China at this point. Yeah, everyone wants to be up in China. And actually, there's some zone of agreement on things like basic research, right? Like there's that does seem to be another place where there, there there's a group of Republicans who, who are OK with that, that as a function of government and are actually kind of OK with deficit financing it. I guess what's a little bit frustrating watching this is we're actually seeing these zone of agreements where reasonable people can get together and, and make progress. It's just that it's happening on the backdrop of this all-encompassing culture war between the Democratic and Republican parties that's leading to the degradation of things like voting rights and, you know, creating this specter about what's going to happen in the next election and if, you know, what crazy things uh, GOP-controlled states might do and real fears about, you know, what could actually happen to the integrity of the electoral process. You know, the culture war is what's creating these just massive existential fears about the future of the country and also the fact that Republicans still don't seem to be willing to go far, even close to far enough on, on climate change. However, those are sort of the big overriding problems. And then yet you can kind of see in, the, in these bipartisan bills what a sort of functioning moderate government might look like if there weren't these other bigger issues. It's striking to me, listening to you and thinking about this strategy of having all these bills where you kind of stuff in pieces of what you want to get done, how much this is a former senator's strategy. You know what I mean? Like listening to you talk, I feel like this is so Joe Biden to operate in this way and to sort of get your priorities into a bunch of different bills and, and have one be really bipartisan. It just seems like it's a function of the fact of where he came from. Yeah, I think there's some of that. You know, the White House definitely was hands-on legislating. Um, and so, yeah, I think you do see a little bit of the former senator's touch. I'm willing to admit that it looks like I will probably be proven wrong uh, about whether anything can get done on a bipartisan basis. Um, but the question is really if the big, most important things can still get done on a bipartisan basis. And even Biden seems to have sort of tacitly admitted that that's not possible with this two-track solution, where things like the really major investments in climate are going to be done entirely, uh, if at all, by through Democratic votes. Can we talk about how this infrastructure is going to be paid for, theoretically? Because I thought that taxes were how we were going to pay for infrastructure. We were going to tax the rich, but that is not part of this bipartisan legislation, purposefully. So where's the money coming from? So 
You, no, we're not taxing the rich, first off, which is, I think that's good, personally. Really? Yeah, because it means there are more pay-fors left over that Democrats can use for their other bills. Oh, like we can tax the rich later? Yeah, for the other for the stuff in the reconciliation bill. There, there are a lot of reasons why that's actually helpful. Um, basically, if you do something in a reconciliation bill, permanent spending has to be paid for on a permanent basis. It's sort of the rule of thumb. So the extra rich taxing capacity we have, rich people taxing capacity we have, is good. It means that we can make more programs that Biden wants to pass permanent. So- I think that's actually good. But so Republicans did not want to raise taxes. Um, so what what did they agree to do? Well, they find, a, you know, a bunch of small pots of money, like reinstating Superfund fees. They roll back a prescription drug rule that the Trump administration was going to put in place and was going to cost Medicare some money. Delayed that. That saved some cash. And then they just say, like, we're going to repurpose $200 billion or so, you know, dollars in COVID relief funds that weren't used. Which I didn't know that there was like a few hundred billion sitting around unused. Basically, what they're doing is they're saying, well, we didn't spend this money we thought we were going to spend on COVID, right? Like, so it's some of the unemployment funds that red states didn't use because they caught off benefits earlier. And, you know, some of the tax credits that just ended up happening to cost less than anticipated. They're saying, well, we didn't spend that there, so we're going to spend it on infrastructure instead. And they're counting that as, as, as savings. You know, it's like this. It's like... It's like you said you were planning to go out to dinner, right? Like you were going to go blow like $300 on a birthday night dinner out somewhere, like just, a, a, you know, just going all out. <laughs> and then instead you're like, well, actually somehow dinner only cost $150. And so the next day you say, well, I saved that money. So I'm going to I'm going to use that money I saved yesterday to cover the new shoes I'm going to buy tomorrow. And it's like, well, you didn't actually save. Save. Like, you're not yeah. yeah you're, you're just spending the yeah. money. That you're you, spaving. You didn't spend. That's what that is. Yeah. It's spaving. Right. That's like sort of what that's sort of what Washington's doing a little bit here. But I'm all for it. Well, it was a weird split screen for me to have them talking about this as the eviction moratorium expired. Yeah. Because so many people were basically saying, we never got our money from, you know, that we were supposed to get from the feds that was going to cover our rent. We're being evicted. Uh, And now the federal government's like, we'll be taking back all of the money that was unspent and repurposing it, which, okay, but... (laughs) It's, it's It's not coming from that, thankfully. Okay. It's it's money that, like, you know... If I, if I remember one of the tax, it was like the employee retention tax credit cost less, for instance, than they thought it was going to. So that money was available, stuff along those lines. You know, I, I, I talked to another aide on the Hill who basically said to me that the reason Republicans were able to go along with this in the end when they never really tried to do infrastructure with Donald Trump was that they've sort of tacitly embraced the idea of deficit spending or deficit financing, even if even if there's a wink-wink involved, in a way that they just kind of weren't willing to do pre-COVID. Huh. Because it used to be a real pillar of republicanism. Like, we're not going to... Deficit spend on infrastructure, but we'll deficit spend on tax cuts. Right. That was sort of that. That was where the Republican Party was at. Whereas now it's like, okay, there's a little bit more room to fudge on this stuff. Um, it all. I think it also helps that again, a lot of these guys just realize they need this spending at this point um, to fix up their home states. When we come back, will the Senate be able to pull off this multi-track scheme?
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. In the latest season of Blind Spot from WNYC Studios and the History Channel, join host Kai Wright as he travels back to a pivotal moment in the history of this country. Decades before COVID-19, a virus tore through some of our most vulnerable communities while the wider world looked away. Throughout the season, you'll meet people who demanded that they and their illness be seen. Mothers, children, doctors, nurses, nuns, and sex workers – all leading to a woman who literally helped change the definition of AIDS. Blind Spot, The Plague in the Shadows. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Even before this week's bipartisan bill moved to the Senate floor, attention had started to shift. Because it's still a little unclear if the moderate Democrats, who negotiated so hard over infrastructure, are going to play ball with a reconciliation bill the rest of their party says they need next. The price tag for that legislation? It could go as high as $3.5 trillion. Senators Cinema and Manchin have already signaled that that's a little rich for their blood. This is Joe Manchin just this weekend. Can you guarantee to AOC that a reconciliation package will pass the Senate? Because her concern is that uh, this infrastructure bill might be bipartisan, but it's scaled back so much, it's not as bold as it should be and what the country needs. Can you guarantee her that the reconciliation package will pass? I can't really guarantee anybody, you know, and I have not guaranteed anybody on any of these pieces of legislation. We would like to do more. Yeah, you can do what you can pay for. This is paid for. Our infrastructure bill is all paid for. We don't have a debt that we're going to incur more debt and throwing on to it. And on the other, as far as the reconciliation bill, should be looked at the same. So let's talk about what happens now, because I have to confess that I don't understand the politics of what's about to go down. Like, it feels like we have a bunch of bills at a bunch of different stages of development, and I don't know how this gestational period is going to go. So lay out the timeline for me, because there's a clock. Like, these senators, technically, they're supposed to leave August 9th, so they got like a, a week to do this. Yeah, I mean, we've got this kind of like big old legislative rumpus going on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Schumer wants to pass this bill by next week, and then he wants to move on and pass the $3.5 trillion budget resolution, which is sort of, um, that's like the uh, prelude to the reconciliation package. Hold, that's not even the reconciliation package? No, before you can pass a reconciliation package, you have to pass a budget resolution. And the budget resolution does some technical things, it basically says the maximum you're going to spend, and it says like what committees the money is going to go to. Wow, because um, so I was thinking there were like twin bills, but what you're telling me is like... No, 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 the hard work <laughs> The is legislative not branch is pregnant with quadruplets. Like they, <laughs> they have this to is, get all these bills through. So yeah, the, 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 it's, a, it's an elaborate... <laughs> it's an elaborate ritual of the U.S. Senate. <laughs> So the, the 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 budget resolution has to be passed first, and then once they once both houses of Congress approve the budget resolution, then they actually start working on like what 
really will be in the bill. And that's when you're going to see the like hardcore internecine democratic infighting just just rev up where you're going to get you're going to see the fight over how much they want to spend in the end, you know, whatever below or at that 3.5 trillion dollars, you're going to see the fight it's over what they want to do on climate and childcare and pre-K and healthcare and the the specifics and you know, there're kind of bills already lying around dealing with a lot of these things, but they're going to be like pasting them together and trying to see if it makes sense. Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be scraping this thing together and then presumably in the fall you know, after the August recess, when they will get that done. And then at some point they will, if all goes according to plan with this two-track strategy, they will send both the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, and maybe some version of that Innovation Act all to Joe Biden's desk. At the same time. Roughly. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. Because Nancy Pelosi says she doesn't want to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill until she gets the, you know, $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Because she's got a rowdy progressive caucus that's like, yeah. this is like chump change. Yeah, they don't they don't trust cinema. <laughs> they, 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 and they they've don't been trust pretty them. outspoken about it, too. Yeah, no, there are like AOCs feuding with, feuding with uh, you know, Mansion Cinema on, on Twitter. Like it's, yeah, she's, I mean, there's... Well, so explain something to me, though, because this week... We saw this kind of kumbaya moment on the Senate floor. A lot of Republicans coming forward, like, shout out to my friend Mitch McConnell. We got this done. This is how the Senate's supposed to work. We're doing it. We're doing the thing, right? So they're really excited. But what you're telling me is that this bill is kind of just like a little teeny extension of this ginormous other thing that will go to Biden's desk. So if I'm them, like, what's the point of negotiating on this bipartisan bill if there's just going to be <laughs> something I have no part of that I'm going to fundamentally disagree with that's going to be much more expensive? So I think there are a few things. One is that it is the way the Republicans felt like they got some say in the policy. So this train is going somewhere we got to just get on at some point. To, to some extent, right? It's all it's how they get some say. There seems to be an agreement that issues that are dealt with in this bipartisan bill are probably not going to get reopened in the reconciliation bill. So it seems unlikely, for instance, that Joe Biden's going to stuff or that the Democrats are going to stuff a bunch more electric car funding, for instance, into the reconciliation bill. That this is kind of where it gets, it gets handled in the bipartisan one. So they can sort of like stop the conversation on some things by getting it done in the bipartisan bill and just say like, okay, we dealt with that. So right, they can get their, they can leave their mark on it, they can get their piece of it. They can show if for the ones who are in more moderate states, they can show, listen, we work with Joe Biden. We did, you know, we're not these, you know, we are not this insane insurrectionist party. We are reasonable people when we need to be. There is the fact that they want to keep Mansion and Cinema kind of in the fold, right? Like y- you need to show some good faith. Um, that you can come to an accord on a bipartisan agreement if you want your two Democratic partners who are keeping the filibuster alive to continue saying, yes, we want to keep making bipartisan deals and we don't want to kill the filibuster, right? Like it just, <laughs> you have to keep them happy um, and you have to make them not look like idiots. So there's that. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell seems to be backing this and people speculated like why the Grim Reaper you know, Dr. No is <laughs> is backing this bill when he said he just wants to under, you know, basically make Biden a one-term president. Um, and there's some sort of nefarious ideas that, you know, McConnell thinks that 
if this passes, Democrats might just tear themselves apart over the reconciliation package and the whole thing will fail. Like, right, like he's kind of throwing a Hail Mary here. Um, but I've also you know, seen people suggest that he just sees that enough of his party wants to do this, that it's not such a big deal politically, that it's going to like make Joe Biden, you know, an electoral titan, that there's just enough ups, you know, that, you know, there's enough of an upside for everybody and for every, and for the Republican Party to just go along with it. And this is his well, way Well, not of, a big deal to him, but President Trump is already throwing his weight around saying, this is a disaster. You're giving Biden a win. Yeah, I mean, Trump looks like an idiot, right? Because again, he he spent his entire presidency saying infrastructure week, infrastructure week, infrastructure week, and it never happened. You know, if you talk to people, he just never had what anybody, even on the Republican Party side, considered a, a workable infrastructure bill. This is kind of like giant privatization scheme that he was going to like invest $200 billion, and that was going to lead to like a trillion dollars of investment just through the magic of leverage, and no one really believed in it. You know, there was there were all sorts of reasons why I just never, you know, and also he, Trump was lazy, right? Like he didn't like actually, he didn't like negotiating anything himself. So it just never, you know, there were all sorts of reasons it never came together for him. But, you know, it's very possible that Joe Biden is going to deliver what Trump only promised. And so obviously he's upset. So it seems like we're at this kind of interstitial moment where, once again, this bipartisan group is saying, you know, we're we're working together, we're getting this done, we're getting this through to the next level. But the real timeline, we're looking at the fall for all of this stuff to actually be finished, signed, complete. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's sort of the, that's the idea. You sound like you're still not fully convinced this is going to happen. You never know, right? Like, I just, I'm sort of a big believer in the idea that, like, you know, fate makes a mockery of all our best laid plans. So I'm a little bit skittish. It could become more of an intra-democratic fight, and it might become more of a fight of what goes in that other bill, right? What what accompanies infrastructure. So the fight's about to change. It's going to change. It's going to change in character. But it is a hopeful sign that cooperation is at least possible in some places. Jordan Weissman, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Mary. It was a great conversation. Jordan Weissman is Slate's senior business and economics correspondent. And that is the show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Davis Land, Mary Wilson, Elena Schwartz, and Daniel Hewitt. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hi. I'm at Mary's desk. Meanwhile... I'll be right here in this feed tomorrow. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry for to all of your listeners. Um, if you haven't already, just Jordan. Jesus, he's back on the show. Good Christ. Um, but yeah, they're just hoping you sing again at the end. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> don't don't tempt me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.